20 to 20. A tie. A freaking tie. The Indianapolis Colts were down 20 to 3 to the Houston Texans. They score 17 in the fourth quarter, only to not be able to put it away in overtime. What in the world does this say for this team? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. JMV joins us from 93.5-1075. The fan. You catch him from 3 to 6 uh, p.m. Um, Let's start with an overall. You watched this game. You watched overtime. What do you think of this team? Um, I think it it, it stunk for three quarters. And here's the thing. Normally, after week one, you get something that is called overreaction Monday, Tony. During the NFL season, it's really every Monday. But it's magnified after that first Sunday of the NFL season. I think the problem is, in the offseason, you're coming off of what was a debacle, an embarrassment in Jacksonville. And this Colts team, this organization has known, you know, what you have to do. You want to get off to a better start. Certainly, you want to get at that first win, not lose a game for the first time in a handful of seasons. You do all this stuff, right? You're thinking about it in the offseason. You change things up in training camp. You go out and get a new quarterback because clearly last year's quarterback was shouldering the load of issues and was the problem. The owner didn't like him to get rid of him. Um, you go into this season knowing that you need to get off to a good start. And, Tony, the problem with me is they give us three of uh, the worst quarters we have seen since four of the worst quarters we have seen back in January in Jacksonville. And I think that's why you split this down the middle if you want to. You wonder how in the world the team could look that bad for three quarters. They get up off the mat. They have the opportunity to get that win. And then – you rely on a guy that nobody has a great deal of confidence in, and really the Colts shouldn't right now. They should be looking for somebody else. And blanking Chip absolutely gags on that potential game winner, and you end up tying. And we'll see how that works out down the stretch. But, now nah, there's no reason to feel good for me whatsoever. Sure, they didn't lose, but you had a lot of the same issues that we saw in Jacksonville crop up for the better part of three quarters, and that just should not happen, Tony. So let, let's get into where the problems were, because I'm with you. I don't think this was was great, and I think the fourth quarter is much more uh, about what the Houston Texans may really be versus what the Colts can be, even though Jonathan Taylor, 31 carries, 161 yards. It's 5.2 yards a carry. That's very, very impressive. Yes, Rodrigo Blankenship doesn't hit the field goal he needs to, but Alec Pierce was thrown two touchdown passes that he did not get. This is not a conversation if he gets at least one of them. Uh, so is this all about Blankenship? Because, well, the field goal kicker has to hit the game-winning field goal. That's the job. Or is this about an offense that has yet to, uh, in the preseason, I guess, didn't find a rhythm and in three out of four quarters also didn't? Tony, that certainly changed the dynamic of the game. I mean, the Colts could end up being, you know, up 10 nothing, something like that, and maybe we're not talking about it in this fashion. But, you know, something like the, the place-kicking deficiencies here also rid its ugly head, and outside of 11, Michael Pittman Jr., they don't have any pass-catching answers consistently. And that is a problem. That has been a problem for so many years. And, I, you know, I hate to continue to be right about this, but I continue to be right about this. Michael Pittman Jr. was a stud. Jonathan Taylor, he was a stud. Nobody else really stepped up. And Tony, the moneymaker. Right before the Sunday of the start of the season for the Colts, we hear that Quentin Nelson is going to now be the highest-paid left guard of the history of the NFL. 
And you go out and you look at this offensive line and you're skeptical about left tackle and Matt Pryor, who's, you know, not had very much time over there. And the offensive line I thought was horrible. I thought Braden Smith on the right side was horrible. I thought collectively they certainly are not where you're supposed to be if you're a top three paid group in the NFL. Um, and, and really, neither side of the football, defensive line as well, did anything until that fourth quarter. And it, it, knowing how important the start is within your division and you need wins, knowing the schedule that is coming up, it is just ridiculous to think about how in the world you spend three quarters really doing it yourself more so than the Texans were doing to you over that span. And a lot of the finger pointing, as rightly so, should go in that common denominator, that consistent theme, and that's the head coach, Frank Wright. That's where we take the conversation, talking to JMV from 935 uh, the, the The fan um, – it, it, the, you know, he goes into the season. We had already discussed that he was on uh, the, the the hot seat. Uh, he he's a he's a coach on on the bubble uh, for sure. Then this happens. Did the bubble get bigger? Did the bubble get smaller? If if you're Jim Irsay, if you're the fans, what is your takeaway regarding uh, Frank Reich and coaching this team? Well, Tony, you got an irate fan base right now who thinks, all right, I've seen enough and he needs to be gone. And I'm going to give you the perspective of Jim Irsay and what he's thinking about this right now. Um, this, to me, is going to be how the season ends for Frank. If there's somebody in this organization that's going to be on that proverbial hot seat, it is going to end up being him. He's going to be that domino that falls if they don't live up to the expectations. Or, for example, Tony, if they end up embarrassing the organization as they did at the end of last year, then they're going to be finding a new coach because Frank is going to be the first one to go. But I think it's more going to be what you see overall in the season than what you see after week number one. But mind you, we've been down this path before. You know, this is not new ground at all that has been covered. And the fans have a right to be outraged. Uh, Certainly me, for example, talking about this, it is like Groundhog Day. You see the same old situations crop up time and time again. I mean, for example, you think yourself in the first quarter, you talked about Alex Pierce setting the tone for disaster with that drop touchdown, potential touchdown catch. Well, right after that, you get that fourth down call and you bring in the stinking Wildcat when you have the best running back in the NFL back there, supposedly one of the, if not the best offensive line in front of that running back and that's what you do on fourth down. That is why so many, and rightly so, should be skeptical about how Frank Reich is to be able to coach this team longer term. You can look at that, and you can look at, well, just the simple fact that this team was flat-footed and not ready whatsoever for three quarters to start this important season. And most of this comes back on the head coach, and rightly so. He's not going to go anywhere right now, but the end of the season results are going to dictate whether or not Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard's going to be looking for a head coach because he would be, disappointment-wise, that first domino to fall. So if you're Marcus Brady, the offensive coordinator, or Gus Bradley, defensive coordinator, you head down to that senior defensive assistant, a little guy by the name of John Fox, who has a tremendous amount of head coaching experience. Are any of these guys saying, well, I, I, I better get ready? Is that in the back of anybody's head, those guys? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, no, listen. If it gets worse, you know, maybe something like that happens. I just find it hard to believe, Tony, that Jim Mercy would do something like this in the season. So I, I wouldn't look at that. And, and frankly, I mean, if you're Gus Bradley, it, it's not like that your defense covered itself in velvet. 
for most of the game either. I mean, they went three quarters of listless, sleepwalking type of football. And I told you last week, I was most excited about that group, especially up front. You know, the first time you get an edge-rushing, consistent presence in Ndokwe in forever, and there was nothing. Absolutely nothing. And here's the dynamic that still did come back in the fourth. Got a tie. They had a chance to win, whatever. But it was still the Houston Texans. Why are you working your way back in the fourth quarter where you're down 17? Why are you working your way back, and why do you feel satisfied with a tie against clearly the worst team in the AFC South and one of the worst teams in the NFL? That's the way that you judge this. You don't judge it by the fourth quarter alone. You judge it by the entirety of the game and the fact this team was simply not ready to go. JMV, 93.5-1075. The fan, I appreciate you taking uh, the time. Uh, Catch him from 3 to 6 p.m. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix. It's just remarkable to listen to the vice president talk. Just the, 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 the sheer gall of it all. We have a secure border in that we're trying to fix it. We don't have a secure border because we won't secure it. Now, she, I, I have to say, if you listen to the part two here, you can find something you might very well agree with. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. We also have to put in place a, 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 a law and a plan for a pathway for citizenship for the millions of people who are here and are prepared to do what is legally required to gain citizenship. Now, if you tell me that we need to pass some laws in order to be able to have a secure border, in order to have a system and engage a better system for someone becoming a citizen, uh, no problem, zero problem. But Congress won't do it. But the, oh, the problem of the past four years, you're blaming Trump? Pathetic. And you look pathetic. And it's okay to notice that. It's okay to say clearly, because it's true, that her answer is pathetic. Her unwillingness to deal with the border is pathetic. The problems of of the border are pathetic. Congress's willingness to pay no attention is pathetic. It's okay to say so. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com, TonyKatz.Locals.com. The best was when when uh, when Chuck Todd did this interview with Kamala Harris, uh, th- this, this, this little nugget happened. It hurts. She's been tasked with some intractable assignments from enacting national voting reform to solving the immigration crisis at the border. Some of her supporters, and there are quite a few, argue she's being set up to fail on some of those issues. But she's also well positioned to become president someday. Why? Fifteen vice presidents already have, including our current president, who was a former vice president. Today is September 11th. It was. We should not forget that September 11th took place this weekend. Uh, at least the anniversary thereof. I only hope you took time to remember and talk about it with your families. 
she's well positioned to be president because 15 other vice presidents have done so? She's popular? Kamala Harris is popular? Stop it. What? What is Chuck? Now I know why they're considering getting rid of Chuck Todd, moving him on to Peacock, and then getting rid of him all together. This isn't serious. It's not serious. And the idea that she's popular is also not serious. Not serious is the Supreme Court not figuring out who leaked the information regarding Roe v. Wade. There are things that happen in society where we don't get information and I'm out of my head. Jeffrey Epstein. I want to know who is associated with Jeffrey Epstein. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. I don't care what their last name is. I don't care how much money they have. They were on the island and they knew about children and sex slavery. I want them thrown in jail. I don't give a damn. Jeffrey Epstein is allowed to kill himself? Obscene. Obscene. I put that on William Barr. I do? Of course I do. There should have been a hundred guards on him. Two guards, one who wasn't a guard and the video camera wasn't working and they fell asleep. Dear Lord, who wrote this B-level Roger Corman nonsense? Except Corman would never make a movie this schlocky. Why don't we know who the shooter was and everything about him at the Harvest Festival shooting in Las Vegas, Nevada? Why don't we know? 59 people get murdered? I got 9 billion cameras all around Vegas. And I don't have anything regarding this guy murdering 50 some odd people. I don't believe. And I'm only uh, disgusted by the idea that we as Americans have somehow let this go. Who leaked the information, the draft of Samuel Alito's decision on Roe v. Wade? When do they get fired? And if it was a Supreme Court justice, when are they impeached? I don't care if they're conservative. Damage was done to the court. Damage was done to the country with that leak. It cannot be allowed to stand. Now, according to Justice Neil Gorsuch, the investigation is still going on and he's hoping to get that information, that report soon. I don't know if Chief Justice John Roberts is serious about getting the information, I don't know if he cares. I don't know if it matters to him or not. It seems to me that this is a guy who is desperate to keep the court from being politicized, and he he ensures that it's not by always finding a position for the court to be politicized. He has done more politicizing in the Supreme Court than anybody else. It's not Sonia Sotomayor. It's not the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's not Clarence Thomas. It is him. It is John Roberts. But I thought he brought up something pretty interesting here in this back and forth from C-SPAN. There is uh, one thing, though, that looking back uh, on the year and how it's been addressed in a number of uh, uh, places that does uh, cause me a little bit of concern. Um, You know, uh, the the court has always decided controversial cases. Uh, The decisions have always been subject to Uh, intense criticism, um, and that is uh, entirely appropriate. Um, uh, Citizens feel free to criticize uh, our opinions and how we do our work. Uh, But lately, the criticism is phrased in terms of, you know, because of these opinions, it calls into question the legitimacy of the court. Um, And I think it's a mistake to view uh, uh, those 
criticisms in that light. Um, the legitimacy of the court uh, uh, rests uh, on the fact that it satisfies the requirements of the, of the statute uh, and that uh, the Constitution needs, as John Marshall put it, somebody to say what the law is, and that's the role of the Supreme Court. And that role doesn't change simply because people disagree with this opinion or that opinion or disagree with the particular mode of jurisprudence. Um, so obviously people can say what they want, uh, but, uh, and they're certainly free to criticize the Supreme Court. And if they want to say that its legitimacy is in question, they're free to do so. But I don't understand the connection between opinions that people disagree with and the legitimacy of the court. Well, you must... If you are one of the people who has led to the politicization of the court, the court doesn't exist in the view of, we will say, for the sake of this argument, the political left to adjudicate. The court exists to codify. That's its purpose. How could anybody think that Roe v. Wade was a rational standard? The right to privacy, sir, doesn't exist in the Constitution. You know this better than I. The 14th Amendment doesn't provide such a thing. How could it be decided that, that somehow the federal court can usurp the right of the states in this way? How could anybody allow this, including yourself, sir, who voted to allow the Dobbs decision but did not want to overturn Roe v. Wade? How could you allow it? The answer is politics you did not want the politicization of the court even though the court was wrong in creating its ruling in 1973 so the legitimacy conversation comes from the exact conversation that you are saying shouldn't happen the court is there to rule on what the constitution says and whether or not a law in question is constitutional Yet you did decided not to make determinations or in other cases created determinations to fit something into a constitutional mode or you wanted to avoid a conversation so you didn't have to question its constitutionality because of politics. We're talking about overturning of Roe v. Wade and we're talking about Obamacare. That's on you. And then you have the audacity to come at us and say, don't question the legitimacy of the court. Now on, on, on its face a prima facie i believe as the lawyers would say he's right the court exists the decisions exist of court it's of course it's legitimate even if you disagree but don't forget that the politics come from you who claims to be protective of the court and the politicization of it i only wish that were the case I more wish you would just adjudicate honestly and clearly and say some things shouldn't be more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. I thought that we were told that things were going poorly for Ukraine. Uh, they had the, the the great first push in the war when Russia uh, uh, attacked, and they, they got the, the world uh, on their side, and they were able to get a lot of money. Uh, but then, of course, uh, the, the Russians are the Russians. The advancing is the advancing. Uh, a lot of troops, even if, even if they're poorly disciplined, even if they don't actually know uh, what it is they're doing there or the reason for it, they're still murderous, they're still violent, they could still cause lots of damage, and they did. And they were able to take land, a fair amount of land, more and more uh, land. And, of course, uh, the Ukrainians, uh, with Vladimir Zelensky, saying we need more help. 
But he did it in a strange way. He was doing photo shoots for Vogue magazine. He was uh, really trying to guilt nations into this as opposed to trying to uh, build a, a, a sense of community around it. And things turned for Zelensky. Now we see that things may be turning for the Russian forces. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, great uh, to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired United States Army military analyst on TV and radio. We're hearing about forces that are retreating out of that Kharkiv region in the same way they did from Kiev when they couldn't take the capital. You have Russia making the claim that they're trying to fortify the areas of Donetsk and Luhansk, Luhansk, those areas to the southeast, those first areas that Russia tried to take, considering that they are more Russian-leaning, more Russian-friendly in that area. Uh, Talk of taking back thousands of square miles the Ukrainians have. What is going on? What is the latest? In uh, Ukraine military that was well planned and, and well executed. It uh, had the strategic objective of probably having a feint in the south and along Kherson, but with a m- more important victory of taking back uh, Kharkiv, and that, that is because of Izium and some of those cities that exist in that oblast there in that area, um, and the command and control, and knowing the intel that we pro- that was provided to them, uh, we kind of did the old fashioned you know punch a hole in it and see what happens, and they were able to find weaknesses along that line. Shows that those lines aren't static um, and they took back about a thousand square miles they basically took back land that Russia took from them back in March and so from a, from their perspective it's a tremendous victory but but this victory does not assure victory at all for for Ukraine they're going to have to you know they have the initiative now but they still have to mobilize more individuals and more soldiers and get more equipment from the west because Russia still has tremendous capacity and capability within within inside Ukraine so let me break this down a little bit or actually let me ask you you to break this down a little bit punching holes in in the defense uh, what is it that was believed was the problem with uh, these russian forces how exactly was a hole punched and then when you're able to do it what comes next how does that process work yeah, holding that's going to be difficult, and, and they're going to have to keep this alliance with the West strong. I think that's the only way this works, because you look at history when you see the fact that this has now become a war of attrition uh, over the last 200 days, and when that happens, the country with more industrial power ends up winning, and, and I think Russia still has that, that, that advantage over Ukraine. Oh, I'm not saying um, no. But, uh, I'm not saying no, Major. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I'm saying that you talked about breaking a hole in the defense. Uh, what is it that the Ukrainians saw? How did they do it? And then what was the next step? I'm asking you about the how. So on a deliberate offensive where they had a military movement by, by synchronizing artillery, infantry, and armor, where they were able to take known weak spots within that static line that, that had been static for the last few months. And once they got through, now they're on a different mission. It's called the Exploit and Pursuit. And looks like they caught the Russians um, almost uh, unexpectedly from their perspective. There's nothing they could do. They didn't have enough uh, military equipment in the area there. They had no air cover whatsoever. 
Uh, the fact that they were able to then use Western artillery to strike deep drop bridges on uh, our side there, or let's say the Russia, or the Ukraine side, that didn't allow those Russian military uh, units to escape. They had to go due south and due uh, east um, and try to go go in that direction. So um, it was a tremendous, from a straight military perspective, they they did exactly what you do in terms of how a plan goes. And then once once these things go, they start slowly, they start gradually, but then they take off and they accelerate very quickly. Um, similar to, again, wars in the past. Look at day four at Desert Storm. That's really what happened. U.S. forces are in total pursuit of, of Iraqi forces. That was probably taking place. The, the Ukraine military was just killing and capturing as many Russians as they could in the last few days. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, West Point graduate, military analyst, both radio and TV. Uh, the Kremlin, you know, just a few days ago, it was Vladimir Putin saying, nothing's wrong. We haven't lost anybody. We've not, no damage to us whatsoever, which, of course, is is a complete and total lie. Uh, you, they have, they're making the claim that they've uh, moved uh, troops back to protect Donetsk and Luhansk, which is, as I was saying before, same argument they made uh, about Kiev when they weren't able to move forward and they were put into retreat. Um, mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin can't afford to lose this thing, and he certainly doesn't want to be seen as losing it because he already has a tenuous situation in Russia. How bad is this for him on the home front? And when backed into a corner, what kind of savagery could he unleash? Yeah, the, the question is, how, how much does the home front actually know? You're seeing changes of attitude on Russian state TV and, and media outlets there. We've, we've been monitoring those and show that um, they are now more open about the fact that the, U, the Ukraine military is defeating Russia in certain places. Now, whether they're calling this the, the, the level of defeat it is, it, it still remains to be seen. And, and whether we think that that's going to link to his power or not, um, he, he's running out of generals, though. The, the latter Putin is stuck in this, you know, this allure of the short victory. He, he believes that once he finds the right person, he's changed general officers multiple times in these major command areas. Once he finds the right person, once he finds that Napoleon, once he finds that, that, that individual to muster and rally those troops that, that have so much of a, of a, a technology and advantage on, on the hardware side, uh, that, that this will be fine. He just hasn't, that hasn't happened yet because that, that person doesn't exist. Ukraine has advantages on the ground. They have the technology advantage. They have the equipment that's coming from, from the West. And so I, I don't, I don't know. We, we won't know exactly what his next step is. It's potentially a tactical nuke. Um, but I think he's going to have to do, be forced to reinforce down in Kherson in the South. Cause now if he loses that territory, that's territory that he took eight years ago. That's territory that was always somewhat Russian to begin with. And then he's got a big fight on his hands there. So now let's move into uh, the future as as we just started in in this conversation with, you know, you brought up what is it that the Russian people actually know? Uh, we, we live in the world of online and as much as you want to keep it out, things get into China, which means things uh, get in, in into Russia. Russia has cut mm-hmm. off Europe from natural gas, but also has lost some markets in which to sell it. China is certainly buying it as much as they can. It's a continual collapse of an economy there and when you get news that this war that the russian people didn't actually want to begin with they don't quite know why it why it all came to be is really costing lives and treasure that does turn things around 
for those oligarchs, for those people who certainly make money off of uh, protection from Putin, but also have a lot to lose if Putin mm-hmm. should fail and they don't have the right person to go into the place. Um, what is happening? Is there, is there talk uh, amongst the Russian people or from your sources that the Russian people are talking about saying we've had enough? And is there talk that the oligarchs and those in power have said, you know what, enough of, of this guy. We'll find somebody else to protect our interest because he's going to get us killed and he's already getting people killed. Yeah, I've only seen from from folks I've talked to in the intel community say that it's just the beginning phases of that, that we have to assume that Vladimir Putin will hold on to power for as long as possible. I mean, look at all the assassination attempts that tried to take place on Adolf Hitler back in the day. It's, a, it's the same kind of analogy. And, and Russia is more spread out. It's actually more difficult. The world has become more global. Some of those oligarchs, um, while they've been sanctioned, they still have resources in other places that, that have been hidden and that, that can't, that people can't get to and and so the, there's still enough in within russia that want the status quo and the status quo is vladimir putin runs it he runs it as a dictator um and there's not been any any real sense that uh, any kind of revolution nor should we expect it there should be no sense of a revolution that's going to take place that'll take him out of power this ends though potentially with him out of power that might be one way to do it um but the expectation of that uh, in, in the short term of the next let's say 90 days it just should not be very high so let's take now the other side which is the conversation about ukraine where vladimir Zelensky keeps asking for money the united states certainly keeps giving money there is a, a philosophy, a foreign policy a philosophy that it's better to spend the money than to spend uh, the, the, the lives. This is the better way to deal with, with Vladimir Putin. Is the checkbook mm-hmm. from the United States really that open and should it be? Well, it, 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 we really need to do more than just a checkbook right now. I think I think that's the issue. If we are going to settle on this protracted war, all that's really doing is helping Ukraine lose gradually. And, and like I said before about the attrition model and, and how that's worked in history, the country that's had more industrialized power ends up winning because they just grind the other side down. So I, I think it, we've got to do more than just send money. I think we've got to send tanks. We've got to do other you know, I'm, not, I'm at the place now where you know, Bradley APCs, other kinds of equipment that might be perceived to be as escalatory, um, but it will stop. It, it, given what Ukraine has done and what they've shown the past 200 days, I, I think that and given the status of the Russian military, um, they could use that equipment more than they could use a check, frankly, because that all they're doing is turning around and buying that from somebody else. They're buying that equipment from Germany or from some other NATO country. If, if we send better equipment, the Germans get off the the stick, for example, and start sending what they've promised, I think that'll that'll go a long way for Ukraine. You're taking a a position that we should become more involved and we should spend more dollars and we should give more. This certainly is a position that is driving a fair amount of Americans uh, batty because um, why why are we paying for this war with Ukraine? So uh, go... Go down a road of, okay, if we didn't give anything, if we didn't give arms, if we didn't uh, supply money, Russia takes Ukraine. Um, is, is, is there a reason for the United States to panic if Ukraine was lost? 
Well, it, it, uh, to panic, no. I think that um, it's still fundamentally a regional conflict. And but but we, we Russia has become much more of an aggressive state, upsetting the balance of power in in Europe and upsetting the security situation there. I, and as they're linked with China and North Korea and these other countries, we have to recognize that, that there's proxies that exist on both sides. So this is how we want to fight this war. We but we again don't want to protract it so they lose gradually. We don't want to see Ukraine lose uh, a million citizens, a million people. We don't want to see another World War Three, you know, scenario take place uh, as, as the like. But but Russia started it. Russia could end it if they wanted to. Uh, if even if the, I, I'll bet you if they if, if the Russians decided to even go back to the borders of February 23rd, the day before the whole thing started, I think there'd be enough pressure from European countries for have the Ukraine military accept that and the government accept it. Now they're saying they won't, they're saying they want to free Crimea. They say they want to go a little bit further, but you know, this is, this is how it goes. What the, what the world does with Vladimir Putin, if he's allowed to survive this really remains to be seen similar to Assad in Syria. You know, he starts a civil war, a civil war down there and, and he stayed in power. So as you see, these, these dictators have the capacity to, to survive these kinds of things. And you know, Russia is no different. Russia has a lot of tremendous capacity more than Syria even had. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, West Point graduate, military analyst, both radio and TV. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. It seems that the sickness never ends. This this desire for people to decide, oh, my child's a boy, even though they're a girl. My child's a girl. Even though they're a boy, I have to show how good and woke and decent and kind and loving I am by absolutely abusing my own children. Now, you say to me, Tony, it's not abuse. Oh, <laughs> it is abuse. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. This right here is Libs of TikTok doing it again sharing the video of a mom that claims her toddler, toddler, is transgender. Hold on. Toddler. Uh, Should we get a definition? Should we get a definition of toddler? All work on the same uh, uh, page. One who toddles, especially uh, a young infant, an infant or a young child. How about what age? Age of toddler definition. Between 12 and 36 months, the toddler age, according to the American Association of Pediatrics, I believe that's what it is, the AAP, uh, toddler age is between 12 and 36 months. The CDC says between one and two years. So between 12 and 24 months. So we're talking about babies here. And this is a uh, mother who's supposed to protect uh, her child. Okay, so first of all, I will say that the process, the journey is ongoing and probably will be for potentially her entire life. But here's how it started. So she was uh, designated, assigned, observed male at birth. And until about 18 months. Well, 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 my baby was born with a penis is the way that should be said. Not assigned. Looked at. Aha. Bitty boppity boo. That works in 99% of the cases. Now we'll continue with this mom. Didn't really, you know, know too much. Just kind of was raising two kids, working full time, not really paying attention to what was going on. 
And at around 18 months, started she started showing signs of like really being interested in things that her sister had and had in her closet and wanting to play dress up and wanting to put on lip gloss. And when she would see fingernails, she would want her fingernails painted too. And, you know, we just, we thought it was cute. No issue. We had no issue with, you know, her wanting to do those kinds of things. Um, and then around the age of two, things started to progress at a quicker pace. And so each time that we would go to pick her up from preschool, she was fully outfitted in dresses and jewelry. Let's stop for just a, a moment and talk about the abandoning of parental roles. You have a child who sees their older sister doing things and wants to do the same in the same way younger brothers want to do things their older brothers are, are, are doing. And so instead of setting a boundary, say, no, 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 we don't do that. We do this. And let, you know, letting a kid become an adult and then decide what they want to do. But a kid decides to do something and therefore you take it into, well, they're really a girl? If your kid plays dress up, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, actually. I don't think there's any issue with that at all. It doesn't change the fact that they're a boy or a girl. You want to change that on a toddler? That's sick. That's twisted. This is a diseased society. As opposed to saying, no, we don't do that, but these things are fine. We don't mutilate you. We don't engage hormones or anything else. And I haven't even gotten into the full story of what that might uh, eventually be. But because they play dress up, they're now a girl. That's, that's not parenting. In my view, that is something very, very different and extremely, extremely dangerous. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com, TonyCats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.